0: What in the world is going on with Medicare? Ron and I will talk about what the 2023 Medicare physician fee schedule will look like and how it might affect the already precarious financial situation many physicians face. From Fulcrum Strategies and Flatlining.net, this is the Flatlining Podcast. everyone, and welcome to the Flatlining Podcast. The podcast brings you great healthcare analysis and discussion each week. I'm Matthew Hanley from Flatlining.net, and with me is the President and CEO of Fulcrum Strategies and Economist, Ron Hauergen. Ron, how are you?
1: I am good, sir. I hope you are as well.
0: I am, thank you. And today we're going to be spending some time talking about something that I've seen a lot of uh, opinions going about uh, in different parts of the healthcare internet, and that is the upcoming um, Medicare fee schedule for 2023. Uh, I know, incredibly sexy topic. But uh, it's something that's <laughs> important for uh, all physicians, not just those that take Medicare, not just those that are on uh, current year Medicare plans, because it affects it, it affects a lot of different aspects of our health care. Um, and Ron, I guess we I want to start by asking you... How it was that we came to have the Medicare fee schedule?
1: Um, well the the current sort of way that Medicare pays physicians um, really dates back to, and I won't go into g- nauseating detail on this, but mm-hmm. dates back to the mid to late 80s um, when a change was made, um, the federal government contracted with a, a healthcare economist by the name of Bill Shaw who was an economist at Harvard, I think. And prior to that, he was actually an actuary for Signal Healthcare. Um, and they had him build a whole new way to compensate physicians and build some really great work. Basically, what he did was he took everything a physician can do from an office visit to cardiovascular surgery, and he created a relative value scale. So if you think about mm-hmm. an office visit being worth one point, for example, cardiovascular surgery might be worth 50 points right? and therefore should be paid 50 times more than an office visit. And he did it really scientifically. He broke everything a physician can do into three parts. One is practice expense. You know, Like an office visit, you, you're going to expect the use of a nurse and some gloves and et cetera. Um, so there's a practice expense component. There's a work component, which is sort of how hard it is to do. You would imagine that Heart surgery is a little bit harder than an office visit, so it's right. going to have more work value, and then a malpractice component. How risky is it? How likely are you to be sued for malpractice? Hmm. Um, so you, each each service has those three components. You add up those points, and then and I'm simplifying a little bit of the math, but you'll hmm. get the gist. And then you you multiply that by a factor depending on where you live. That's a practice. Exp- it's a, a geographic location. Mm-hmm. So, for example, services in Los Angeles are going to be much more expensive than services in Mississippi, right? Because Mississippi has a much lower cost of living, lower labor cost, etc. And that way, he could basically value how many points, if you were, a service was worth that a physician performed, based on what they performed and where they were. The last mm-hmm. part to this and this will get us into when people talk about the conversion factor, what's happening, potentially happening next year, is he said, okay, I've given you the relative value of the points. Now you, the government, get to decide how much money per point you pay. That's called the conversion factor. And so the government did just that. And they said, okay, every point is worth so many dollars. And that set the physician fee schedule across the country for Medicare. Um, That was where it came from. That was sort of the impetus of it. Now, one thing, just as an FYI, that Mm -hmm. when, uh, and this has been a bone of contention such that with his original work, Bill wanted one other factor into it, and that didn't make it through the federal process. And he wanted a a physician specialty factor to be included. Basically, his thinking was, look, you can't pay a pediatrician for an office visit the same amount of money you would pay a neurosurgeon. Right. but the federal government said, no, we're not going to do that. And they got rid of that. So that may, didn't make it into the final rule. So literally speaking for Medicare, pediatrician's is a bad example for Medicare. But a family mm-hmm. practitioner seeing an office visit for a 67-year-old male would get paid exactly the same for that office visit as a subspecialized, you know, Neuro, uh, neurosurgeon or an oncologist right. or someone in a, at, a, at a different specialty.
0: Right. Someone who's dealing, you know, granted, they deal with more complicated things of like this, but mm-hmm. you're comparing something like the flu to something like a brain tumor, and it's two completely yeah. different, you know, methodologies, two different things you have to consider right. when treating right. the patient. And so, and and,
1: and the the answer, the federal photo, the photo government's answer to that is that that person who's looking at potentially brain surgery is probably building a higher level office visit code than somebody just looking at a cold or the flu. And so there's there's logical arguments to both sides of it, but it is important to understand that the initial work envisioned this fourth factor, which would be the specialty of the practicing physician. And that didn't make it through and it's not included today.
0: So you mentioned in there, you created this point system and based off of that, the government gets to assign the dollar value. And we've talked about before, um, on this program and in other places, is that the dollar value that the government assigns is far too low to cover the costs of some of these things, which is why a Tylenol in a hospital costs ten dollars mm-hmm. because it's covering for some of the things that they you know can't afford with some of the Medicare patients. Why is it that the dollar amount is always assigned so low, and for the commercial contracts? physicians have to you know try and get 150 175 percent of Medicare or whatever it might be for their particular market
1: well there's really two things that play in here and let me break them up into their pieces and we'll mm-hmm. do the the, the the we'll do them in chunks one of them is that conversion factor the dollar amount per point and I'll talk about why that's so low and what 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 games get played with that and what game is going to get played with that again this year the other is that every so often the government, looks at those point values and they can adjust them so they can say, Oh, that's really not as hard anymore for that service. So we're going to drop its point value for that individual service mm-hmm. and then raise other point values. Um, that's a zero sum game. Okay. That the, the group right. that does that, it's called the rock, the rel- the relative unit uh, conversion committee or something. And, um, The committee that does that can't spend any government money. So if they take away points from somewhere, they can give them to somebody else. Or if they want to add points to something, uh, take it from somewhere else. And so we'll see, and I'll talk about that in a minute, these really bizarre effects based on what the service is. But let's set that aside for a second. The conversion factor, the number of points, the the amount of money that gets paid per point, the game that gets played with that, and the reason why it's now way too low is – to the extent that the government increases those values let's say they wanted to oh, i don't know even just keep up with inflation mm-hmm. once they do that it changes the 10 year deficit projection
0: mm-hmm.
1: or if they lower the point value it changes it down so it's a great way to play with how much the deficit projection looks like for the next 10 years and when you're talking about a budget i mean i think in in 2020 um the Medicare cost of the federal government was like eight hundred and twenty nine billion dollars. So tweaking that conversion factor can mess around with the ten year, you know, budget deficit a lot. So they've routinely, as politicians are wont to do, try to reduce that number to to save money for other things they want to spend it on, and that has created this incredible problem that keeps getting worse. Of that, it's Medicare's just not covering their cost. And it brings up the question of well, when's it going to break? When are physicians going to just stop taking it mm-hmm. and say, I don't want to see these patients anymore um, because they are clearly well below where they should be.
0: Right. Uh, the American Medical Association had a, a, a opinion piece published earlier this week by Jennifer Lubell, who's one of their contributing newswriters. And the headline is, put a stop to Groundhog Day games on Medicare physician pay. And mm-hmm. hopefully everyone knows the Groundhog Day movie with um, – Bill Murray, where he just has the same day over and over again, because that's what mm-hmm. it feels like every year with the Medicare fee schedule. Uh, and LaBelle points out in here that the Medicare pays eroded by 20% over the last 20 years when you compare it to inflation. Um, and they point out in this particular instance, this year, Medicare physicians, she says, are facing an 8.5% cut to their payments in 2023. Now, I, wa- I want to talk about That eight and a half percent cut in a minute because there's been some other numbers floating around out there. Um, But let's go back to the inflation thing because the Medicare fee schedule has not kept up with inflation at all.
1: Yeah. So if you look at, let's take the last 20 years. Okay. Let's take from 2002 to 2022. The Medicare conversion factor, how many dollars per unit in 2002 was $36.19. In 2022, it was $34.61. That's actually a 4.4% reduction over mm-hmm. 20 years. Um, we didn't have negative inflation for 20 years. right? CPI, if you accumulated over the 20 years, CPI over those 20 years has gone up significantly more, like something on the order of 40% over 20 years. So physicians have clearly lost ground. Imagine if you would, if... Um, that had happened to minimum wage or it happened mm-hmm. to the average income. Um, we'd have revolution in this country. Right. You know, if average incomes were going down by 4% over 20 years when inflation's going up um, and that's what they mean by, they just keep getting worse. Again, we're facing, you know, CPI inflation right now, eight and a half, nine 9%, something in that range, depending on what month it is. And there's several components that you can add up that hurts, Physician reimbursement next year. One of them is, you know, putting back the sequestration that they took off um, during COVID. But somebody Mm -hmm. could say, well, that that was just a temporary thing for COVID. But if you just look at just the conversion factor, the conversion factor is slated to go right now slated to go down by four point four percent. Well, if inflation's eight and a half, and you're going to get a four point four percent reduction in your reimbursement, you know, you're losing twelve points right there, Mm thirteen points of of you know disposable income if you will that's in one year that's right. pretty dramatic now congress most likely will get rid of most of that 4.4% but everybody right now thinks there will be some kind of a cut and so in this heated labor market where you know everybody's getting more money because the labor market's up physicians in the middle of a incredible inflationary period are going to face some kind of a at least a, a probably a point or so of a medicare cut it just doesn't Makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that new number now, because you mentioned four point four percent just now is what um, mm-hmm. the current number is. The, this particular piece is eight and a half. Another piece I read today said ten percent. So, how does that number number get calculated when you're talking about the overall cut to Medicare?
1: Well, there's there's several different components to it. There's different things. There's the paygo There's the sequestration. There's the conversion factor cut. There's there's just all these other things to it that um, may or may not happen a lot of them probably won't happen Mm -hmm. Um, and some of them like the sequestration cut it was a cut several years ago they suspended it during covid and all they're doing now is just letting it happen again so you could argue is that really a cut well it is compared to last year but last year was high because they you know they suspended something from a covid perspective. It's like think about mm-hmm. like having a you know the the tax free holidays right when you can buy school equipment without paying sales tax. Well, you wouldn't look at it on a monday and go oh my god they just increased the taxes. No, they just stopped having the holiday. Mm-hmm. Um so you know a lot of people use the 8 the 10 or whatever to try to make it very dramatic when most of that isn't going to happen. Um since we've been talking about what happened with the actual conversion factor over time, that's why I, I sort of focus on that 4.4, 4, the conversion mm-hmm.
0: factor. So if we look at the 4.4, 4, that that's an on-paper reduction to, the, to mm-hmm. the fee schedule of Medicare. And we talked about, generally, we don't expect it to happen because Congress usually gets their act together. we've talked about after this midterm, we're coming into a divided Congress. Um, there's talk that rather than having an omnibus spending bill in this lame duck session that they just they're going to try and get a one week resolution passed yeah. just to get them over the line to the new Congress kicks in. If either with let's talk about both those scenarios, but the omnibus spending bill, do you think that they would completely eliminate the cut or do you think that some of that would be there?
1: Well, so there's two things that are really important to understand. We now and and who knows why, but it's now fairly ingrained. We have a process with a lot of things in Congress, and the omnibus spending bill is one of them. You know, these Medicare cuts are another where they create their own time bomb and then they diffuse it at the last second. Mm -hmm. One of these days it's going to go off. Um, And and I don't know why. I mean, if you look at the the spending, the the Congress is supposed to have a budget done by the end of September, which is Mm -hmm. the end of their fiscal year. The last time they actually did that was 1998. (laughs) Okay. We haven't seen a, you know, a, a budget done in the right time frame and, you know, in the last, you know, you know 20, 30 years. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's silly. They do the same thing with these Medicare cuts. They they wait until the 11th hour and then they diffuse a the time bomb. Um, well, what happens if they don't? Or what happens if they say, well, we'll only diffuse part of it, we'll let a little bit of it go off? Again, most people who are close to it think that they will not get rid of the entire 4.4. 4. We won't know until they're done with negotiation. Right. But they'll leave about at least a point or so of a reduction because of how much impact it has on the deficit. And, and you know, neither party wants to be considered adding too much to the deficit, and both parties want to have money left over to spend on other things. So if you're in Vegas, if I were in Vegas right now, I'd bet that we'd probably get take about a 1% cut. Okay, um, But if negotiations break down or one side gets, um, you know, gets hung up on something, stranger things have happened, just like with the spending bill, the government could shut down, or if they do nothing, then the whole 4.4 rolls over. Mm-hmm. And, and then you got to ask yourself, at what point do large sections of the physician community go, I'm just not doing it anymore? And then we've got arguably seniors, the people who need the most health care,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not being able to find somebody to do it.
0: Right. And I want to talk more about what the consequences are if some of these cuts come through. But I do want to ask yeah. that if, if they get a, you know, say a one-week resolution passed, and they take over into the new Congress, do you think that that changes how much the cut will be or do you think it'll still be about
1: 1%? You know, like I said, if I were betting in Vegas right now, I'd bet about a, a point. I think okay. that's going to happen regardless. If they get a one-week spending bill, one of the things that could happen, and it's happened in the past, they might not have this Medicare reimbursement stuff fixed by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. In the past, there've been years, some years where they didn't get it fixed until well into January, and then had to retroactively put the rates in. Well, if you're a doctor and you're providing services after the first of the year, are you, do you hold on to all those claims before you submit them so right. they could get the rate right, or do you submit them twice? And and, and that affects you know physician cash flow where they've got it. You know they've still got to pay their staff. They just don't have any revenue coming in. Mm-hmm. So, it, it's not even a foregone conclusion that they'll even get this resolved before Christmas. They might not. Right.
0: Let's talk about um, the consequences uh, of this Medicare cut, either the whole 4.5% or the 1%. What does that do? to our healthcare system in 2022, 2023, where we're facing record inflation, we're facing extremely high costs in not just nursing, but in overall, you know, medical equipment such as contrast dye. We had that shortage earlier this year. Hmm. And in certain other medications because of either trends on TikTok or because it can't be manufactured in China, whatever the case may be, what does that 4 or 1% cut look like? What are the consequences of that going into next year?
1: Well, to me, this whole game that gets played is like a you know a giant game of of jenga you know mm-hmm. where you you know you're you're moving the one little wood piece and then stack it in on the top and you know and, and in the early parts of it it's it's easy you know it's easy to pull that little piece out and stack it and then it starts to teeter a little bit and and each time you successfully remove a piece, you go, ooh, you put it on the top of the stack and you go all right i you know now it's somebody else's turn." at some point the whole stack falls and it collapses and and but you don't really know when that's going to be and i that to me is the thing so what's the consequence of a 4.4 or 1% cut maybe nothing maybe they get rid of, they get away with it this year and maybe the stack doesn't fall or maybe this is the year because of inflation where either in certain geographic areas or large sections of doctors just go i'm done i'm not doing this anymore i can't i can't make ends meet with this um, because if you think about a physician practice as a business and they sell these you, you, they sell their commodity as their time, an office visit, if you will, and they can only see so many patients a day. Well, I can see all these Medicare patients for $100 dollars. I can see all these commercial HMO or these commercial patients, these PPO patients for 150 bucks. Well, mm-hmm. every patient I see that's a Medicare patient, I'm giving up the opportunity for $50 dollars. Now think about that like an airline you know, an airplane that only has so many seats. Well, none of the airlines are going to sell cheap seats if they can fill them up with more expensive seats. Okay. Well, doctors do it because they've got this, you know, social missions calling and these patients need their help. But at some point, they're going to start to be forced into saying, look, the way that I'm going to make ends meet in an inflationary environment is I'm going to stop selling these seats or these appointment slots to Medicare people when I'm going to sell them to the people who will pay me more. And then you're going to have a real problem with access to care mm-hmm. from the people who need it the most and who it's not their fault. They didn't choose to underpay you. This is just what their, you know, their insurance company pays. Mm-hmm. The other thing, and, and, I, and I think some of this is incredibly intentional. When we talked, I talked about this a minute ago. Not everybody has been getting the same pay. Medicare has been playing around with, how much they pay for certain things. And some things have been doing very well and other things have been getting cut. Right. Um, if you s- take that same time for you, 2002 to 2022 and you take a standard office visit, what you would think of as going into your internist, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, in 2002, an office visit paid $47.43. In 2022, it pays $88.29. That's a hundred and eighty-six percent increase,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and most people look at that and say, "Well, Ron, I thought you said it went down by four point four percent that time." Well, the conversion factor did. They kept adding more RVUs to office visits. Why? Because that's primary care. That's mm-hmm. the stuff that you know that couldn't get them and as politicians in the most trouble. You know, when you call up and you can't see your right. primary care physician. Well, where'd they take that money? Well, let's pick a couple of other things. ACL, knee repair. And I just picked this at random, mm-hmm. you know, getting your ACL repaired. In 2002, Medicare paid that at $951. In 2022, $956. Same rate. 20 years, no inflation. An MRI. You want to get an MRI of the brain. It's an important thing to do if you've got a potential problem up there. In 2002, that paid $953. 2022, it paid $326.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They've cut it by two thirds. Okay. So, my point is, they play around with how they distribute that money. And what we might see in when we get into these cuts is it might not be the whole system that breaks, the whole tower that breaks, like the Jenga thing. It may be certain specialties or certain services where they just say, look, I can't do this anymore. Right. Um, and then the Medicare people are going to have a hard time getting access to that. And we could have in our country really, for the first time, you know, two different levels of service or care where the elderly get a very different and a very lower level of access and and quality just because they're elderly.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Greg Gensani wrote in Stat last week uh, in an opinion piece calling on Congress to um, speed up the process of finalizing the Medicare fee schedule and eliminating some of the cuts that we're talking about. He's an emergency medicine physician in Baltimore, and he's concerned that with the Medicare uh, fee schedule cut that it will significantly hurt primary care and you'll start having more primary care problems in the emergency room. Do you think mm-hmm. that that's a, a possible effect of the of a 4.5% or even a 1% cut?
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredibly um... – valid concern. The, the reason why it is, is because primary care physicians have very little ability to achieve revenue in other areas. Mm-hmm. You know, the orthopods have figured out that they can make money by owning an MRI machine or by doing their own physical therapy. You know, the neurologists do infusions that, you know, so they've figured out ways to sort of make up the difference for what Medicare isn't paying them. Primary care physicians really don't have any of that. So, they're stuck with this sort of problem and they're the ones who, even with the increases in office visit reimbursement, um, are likely to start to limit the amount of appointment slots that they have for Medicare. A lot of primary care physicians don't take new Medicare patients. In other words, they only take agents. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if you want to see me as a Medicare patient, you better have been a patient before you turn 65. It's been going on for a long time. I remember um, when my mother years ago moved from Michigan down to North Carolina, Luckily I knew a lot of physicians and could get her into a good physician but otherwise that would have been a problem because not many of them were taking what they would consider a new Medicare patient. Mm-hmm. So what happens if we don't have that primary care availability? All those things fl- plug up our ER which is incredibly expensive, mm-hmm. not good service or patient care. I mean, you know, it's a ERs are kind of a scary place especially for the elderly. Um, and then they clog it up for what really gets need, needed in there is true emergencies. You know, we saw that during COVID when the ERs got inundated and there were, you know, there were things where, you know, what happens when the heart attack rolls in and you don't have any bays open. Um, so it's a, it's a very real concern and he's mm-hmm. right.
0: And he makes an interesting point, perhaps out of humility, or perhaps just in a, a, an attempt to try and convince his readers of, of what he's arguing for, he points out that as an emergency medicine doctor, he says he thinks he's good, but, you know, he doesn't want to be the one to tell you how to adjust your blood pressure or how to do your insulin at home, especially after he's been dealing with, you know, more traumatic things for six hours in the emergency room. And he has a point there, I think.
1: Yeah, you're, you're using the wrong tool for the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. You know, a hammer is a good hammer. It's a lousy screwdriver. Right. Um, ER docs are fantastic at what they do, but they aren't, set up to to have the conversation with you about your cholesterol or your hypertension or you know it's just not their you know their training they don't have the time to do it they don't know you know um and they definitely don't have that follow-up capability to say okay well you know take this statin and come back in six months and i'll retest you they don't Mm -hmm. you you, you leave you're you're done they don't see you again
0: Staying with the topic of this cut real quick, are there any particular specialties that are are going to be more effective than others in the 2023 Medicare physician fee, sco- fee schedule?
1: Well, the conversion factor things across the board. So it's going to okay. sort of hit everybody equally. There's some other cuts in there that are are pretty nasty for imaging. Um, there's, there's some stuff in there that will hit some of the other specialties. But again, everybody's pretty much um, – close to the breaking point on Medicare reimbursement. So it's it's you know, one of these days that you know that stack of blocks is gonna fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's gonna be hard to put back together.
0: Right. How do the big payers, the Anthem Blue Crosses, United Healthcare, Cigna, any of the others, how do they view cuts to Medicare? Well,
1: they, you know, they routinely um, compare their reimbursement to Medicare's reimbursement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they like to put things in a in a function of the certain percentage of Medicare. Um, and, and, you know, let's take the, you know, the MRI example I gave. Sure. You know, well, if they follow down that path and say, well, yeah, we only want to pay you 1.5 times Medicare, um, then they'll have that same cut to imaging. Um, as Medicare does. So they like to sort of you know, follow what Medicare does and be in some sort of relative position to Medicare. Um, and that's one of the reasons why um, you know, physician compensation hasn't been you know, skyrocketing year after year is mm-hmm. because of all these pressures on increased cost and reduced re- um, reimbursement. Um, the other thing that the, the payers like to do, and I understand half of the argument, is when a, when a provider says, well, I have, you have to pay me more because Medicare just cut me. And the, you know, the payer will say, well, that's not my fault. and not my problem. You know, why should I have to pay for what Medicare doesn't? And I get it from the, from that one perspective, but from the other perspective, well, because it's what it's a hidden tax, you know, somebody has to pay it and the federal government's just choosing not to pay it on their end. um, and and it's a hidden tax. There are other areas where the federal government does the reverse. You know, mm-hmm. there people talk about crop subsidies and say, well, the federal government's giving these, you know, these subsidies to farmers to keep the price of food low. Okay, great. Well, I, I pay for those subsidies through my income tax, but, right. you know, there's no, there's no free lunch here. Mm-hmm. Um, but the payers really like to say, well, you know, I shouldn't have to make up for what Medicare doesn't pay.
0: What about in the instance, uh, like Humana, for example? Much of Humana's business is through their Medicare Advantage plans. I know we're in the middle of the open enrollment period, mm-hmm. and that will be wrapping up in, in just in most places. I think after the the first of the year, uh, sometime in January. How does some of those Medicare Advantage plans? How, how does that? How does the Medicare physician fee schedule affect both the physicians and their you know their business practices? by taking some of those plans and the payers to when offering those plans.
1: Yeah. Well, so, you know, almost all those plans, I'm sure somewhere there's probably a contract that doesn't do this, but you know, 99.9% of them pay some percentage of current year Medicare. Mm-hmm. Usually it's hundred um, percent. So when Medicare cuts, so does your Humana Medicare contract if you're a provider, so does your United Medicare contract. Um, now, I say some percentage because, and this is almost laughable when you remember what we said about, you know, how much imaging has been cut. Mm-hmm. Some of them are now coming out and saying, well, actually, we think imaging is even overpaid now. So we want you to right. accept 70% of what Medicare pays for that imaging, you know, even after Medicare has, you know, cut it by two-thirds.
0: Mm-hmm. And what about and what about with the payers? How, I mean, how do they handle that as as a business?
1: Well, again, for well, for them, it's not – you know, it's not really a, um, a cut to how much they make, if you will, mm-hmm. um, because that reimbursement is sort of a pass through their reimbursement to the government is set in an entirely different way. So it's not like, you know, when Medicare says I'm going to do a 4.4% cut to physician reimbursement, that means a 4.4% cut to United Healthcare's profits or Humana's or anybody else's. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. Um, in some ways, it makes their profits better.
0: We've talked before about how physicians aren't, you know, a voting block in the same way that, you know, union auto workers should be a voting block, or even I, you could argue that nurses might be a voting block because of the, the way their unions are structured. But since physicians are, are an incredibly diverse group of people in the United States from all sorts of different political views, how is it possible? And really, I guess the question is, is it possible for physicians to be able to sway Congress in their direction, to either increase the fee schedule as years go on or to, um, you know, generally make this cut hurt less bad each year.
1: Yeah. So um, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, one of the negatives is physicians haven't figured out a way to be a more powerful um, influential voice um, Um, because they're not consolidated. I mean, imagine if you will, if there was a physician's union, you know, similar to the auto workers. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was allowed to go on strike. Now wouldn't it wouldn't be allowed to, but imagine what would happen if these cuts happen and physicians said, you know what? I don't think we're going to show up to the hospital on Monday. I think we're going on strike. Right. You know, I mean, talk about having negotiating leverage, mm-hmm. um, but they haven't done that. And they haven't been a very good, clear voice. Um where they've been successful and what I think the the medical community needs to do better is to better tell their story and to better make it real to the politicians because they've got a wonderful story and there's a great way to make it real. I heard a story, this was years ago um, and I forget what there was a change that was going to happen to um, infusion drugs and all the oncologists rely on that. You know, that's what they do mm-hmm. the chemotherapy stuff. Um, and, uh, in New York, um, one of the oncology, big oncology groups up there got Chuck Schumer to come to their office and meet with them and everything. And, and they sat him in a chair in their infusion suite and he's looking around at all these other people that are getting their chemotherapy and they don't have any hair and they look, you know, and the doctor was now imagine here you are. And I can't do this for you anymore because of this. And it became real. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. this isn't an an academic discussion. Um, And it was instrumental in getting it reversed. So we've got to do more of that. There's a lot of physicians who spend a lot of work and time with, you know, what they call doctor days on the Hill, where they walk around and they talk to, you know, legislators, et cetera. Um, they really need to keep doing that. We need to do more of that. But what they really also need to do is do it in their state legislators, mm-hmm. um, and then their state, um, uh, you know, uh, environments. Because then it's your county, your hospital, your doctors, kind of thing. So um, it's hard because they're fighting a really uphill battle, and it's easy for politicians to go after that money. Right. Um, you know, when you're talking about close to a trillion dollars in the budget, boy, there's there's a lot of a lot of they're there. But mm-hmm. they need to keep we need to keep doing that and try to do a better and better job of it.
0: And well and it's interesting to me that it's always, you know, you're trying to cut corners in different places and you're right, it is a you know, it's a trillion dollars as part of the budget. But that's the system we signed up for when mm-hmm. we created the Medicare system. And it's no different than, you know, the UK spending lots of money on their health care because of the way they set it up or Canada or any other country. It's just the way we have decided to do it. Um and Perhaps is there a less expensive way, maybe, but this is the you know this is the system we made it would really um it would I mean you'd immediately lose the state of Florida if your party went wholehearted into cutting Medicare just because of the amount of people seniors that live down there in um in Florida. Do you think that it's possible for Medicare to just completely implode on itself with the way that Congress handles this sometimes? <laughs>
1: The imploding would be when the system stops accepting it. Um, You know, it's sort of like, um, you know, it's sort of like the the physicians in the system are sort of like indentured servants, you know, after after slavery was abolished. And, you know, why didn't they leave the plantations? Well, they didn't know what to do. And they, you know, they didn't know. Um, But they could. And what happens if they all get up and walk? What happens when large sections of, of physicians say, I'm just not going to do this anymore Mm -hmm. Um, because having a Medicare card does you no good. If there's nobody on the other end, willing to cash it, you know? Um, And then, you know, when it suddenly becomes real for what is one of the more important voting blocks out there, like you say, you mess around with Medicare and piss off the seniors. You are the ex-senator of the state of Florida in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're the current governor of Florida wanting to be president, that's a bad way to start, you know? So, um, you start getting the seniors riled up about this um, because they got time to call their congressman and they do vote. Now you're going to have a whole different problem. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I guess as we kind of wrap this conversation, I, I think it's important that we, we don't end on, on, on a completely low note. We talk a little bit about um, some, some strategies and, and things that provider groups can do to better prepare themselves for some of these cuts, to better pre- shield themselves either from rising costs of you know, nursing or facility fees or even just Medicare cuts like we've been talking about today. And I guess one of the first ones we talk about as part of you know what we do at Fulcrum Strategies is to get your contracts on a fixed year of Medicare. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, it's bad enough to take a four percent Medicare cut. But if you're, let's say, your largest payer, Blue Cross, if your Blue Cross is paying you on a function of current year Medicare, then it just compounds itself because you mm-hmm. take a 4.4% cut on them as well. Yeah. Um so to me, when I when I talk to clients, you know, getting your payer contracts, your commercial contracts into a fixed year of Medicare to me makes the same sense as why my home mortgage is on a fixed interest rate and not a variable interest rate. Right. You know, it's bad enough filling up my gas tank with gas is mm-hmm. going up and the rest of inflation. It'd be even worse if my mortgage was also going up like that. And there are people who are in that boat. So, you know, you're right. One of the strategies is to get your contracts on a fixed year of Medicare. Another strategy I tell physicians is you you need to understand and be able to appropriately project and budget your your practice as a business. You know What are your mm-hmm. salaries going to do next year? What's reimbursement going to do? Um, I, I, I'm still surprised by how many practices will say, well, hey, I hear we're getting a Medicare cut. I, I don't really know what that means for me. And I'm like, well, first of all, the easy thing to do is to take how much Medicare revenue you got last year, multiply it by 4.4%, and that's what your loss will be. That's simple. Mm -hmm. Now, we should be doing a lot more than that. You should be projecting out what your revenues look like, projecting out what your expenses are. You know, run it like a business. And a lot of physicians don't do that, which is sad because they don't want it to be a business. They want it to be caring, you know.
0: But, you know, nonprofits run the same way. They have to be able to project, uh, you know, how that they're going to be able to manage to stay open each year, even right. if they're based off donations. So and it's, it's one thing to say, you know, you're going to be greedy and try and take in a bunch of money, but it's another thing to say, I need to plan and have a good, you know, sense of where we're going over the next few years and have a budget and have a business model for how that's going to happen. And um, I think the nonprofit world, some sections yeah. of the nonprofit world can, and physicians can learn a lot. By, by doing that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, just doing things like budgets and projections doesn't mean you've got to do the nasty things that people think about with for-profit right. businesses. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean you can't do, you know, you can't provide care to, to people that, you know, that you're not going to make money on. You can
0: still take Medicaid um, patients.
1: Right, right. It's no different than I, you know, I tell physicians all the time, you know, having a, a personal budget at home, you know, knowing my expenses are, knowing my revenue, what that does for me it tells me how much I can donate to charities, mm-hmm. you know, and still be able to, you know, provide for my family. It doesn't mean I just by doing that budgeting process doesn't mean I'm not going to be altruistic or donate. It, it shows me what I can do.
0: Right. Do you have any final thoughts for us as we wrap up our discussion today, or any uh, messages of hope perhaps since we enter in twenty twenty entered into twenty twenty three?
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, I, first of all, I, I I don't think that the full four point four is going to happen. I don't think as as hard as is, is for me to utter this next statement, I don't think anybody in Washington's that stupid. Mm-hmm. Um I do think we're gonna get a bit of a cut. I think next year is going to be a challenging year for physicians. Um and I think we just need to keep working hard to educate the, you know, both local and state and federal legislators on on you just don't want to, you know, you don't want to have this Jenga tower collapse because it'll right. be really bad when it does. Um, but at some point we've got to reflect that, you know, doctors put in an awful lot of hard work and, you know, we can't abuse them.
0: Well, Ron, that's about all the time we have for today. So thank you very much for coming back on the Flatlining podcast.
1: Enjoyed it as always. Thank you.
0: We'll have all of these articles and opinion pieces in the show notes for the program and at flatlining.com. For the next few weeks here on the flatlining podcast we'll be highlighting some of our best segments from 2023 and providing some follow-up for those important stories stay tuned through the holidays we'll be here the flatlining podcast is a production of flatlining.net and fulcrum strategies copyright 2022 all rights reserved be sure to subscribe to the flatlining podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, the iHeart Radio app, Stitcher, Pandora, TuneIn, or wherever you download podcasts. For Ron Howard and I'm Matthew Handley. Have a good week.